Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. Good morning. My name is Izzy Miller, and I'll be reading our scripture passage today for today's teaching, which is 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 13. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something he does not yet know, as he ought to know, but if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some through former associations with idols eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge of eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died, Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. This is the word of the Lord. It was Wednesday, February 23rd. 2022, and I was in my parents' basement with what was to become the shepherd team. We have, two, we have um, three leadership teams that oversee the, the health of Southside. We have the, the staff, and then we have a management team that over is, oversees the fiscal responsibility and oversees the space and, and makes sure that um, we have the practical needs as a church that are necessary for us to flourish. And then we have the shepherd team, which oversees the spiritual health and the spiritual dynamics of the church. Um, and I was, we were meeting as a shepherd team, and it was our first time together. And we established something from the very beginning. There's two types of... There's two ways of helping people grow as a Christian. There's two ways of helping people live out the Christian ethic. And usually churches land on one of these two paths towards helping people live out the Christian ethic. Now, this is not original material to me, but these are just two known ways of doing this. One way that we as a church could help you live out this Christian ethic is by decreasing your freedoms. We could focus on decreasing your freedoms. We could tell you all the things that you are not allowed to do. 
And then when you do something that you're not allowed to do, we could, I could show up at your house and scold you and say, you're not supposed to do that, stop doing that. That's one way to help people grow in Christ-likeness, to tell them what they're not allowed to do, decrease freedoms. The other option is you can increase maturity. Now, they both get the same result in that you are formed into Christ-likeness and that you are living out this Christian ethic, but they get there two drastically different ways. The first way, decreasing freedoms, is like this parent-child dynamic where you need me to tell you what you're not allowed doing. The second one, increasing maturity, is much more messy, so it's not as attractive, it's not nearly as simple. It'd be easier for me just to tell you what you're not allowed doing. And it takes a lot longer. But we believe that is the biblical way. That our focus as a church is not going to be as much telling you what you're not allowed to, doing, to do and then scolding you when you do those things but to help you to see the beauty and the glory of Jesus and why it is in your best interest to flourish as a human being by being changed dramatically in ways that you can't fake internally from the inside out instead of stopping doing things from the outside in so you look good externally but your heart isn't caught up to your obedience yet. Does that make sense? We want to increase your maturity so that you're living out of a heart that's been changed and shaped and desires to honor God with your obedience rather than just complying to what we say you shouldn't do. There's a universal principle at play in today's passage. And... You don't have a lot of room, but you might want to draw some pictures. You'll see as we get into this, because we're going to be pretty slide-heavy today. So in your sermon notes, if you got those, you can, you can refer to the passage there, and you can draw some pictures as we go through these, these slides together. So here's the universal principle at play in today's passage. So the next slide, we see that there's... And by the way, if you want these slides, if it would help you to have these, you can email me at greg at southsideworcester.com and I'll, I'll send you a copy. But here we have a circle, and inside of that circle represents God's commandments. And we could put all sorts of things in there, like what God says about himself, who God really is, God's character. But for this teaching, we're putting God's commandments. Now, in God's commandments, there's a lot of freedom. That circle, that's a boundary. If we stay inside of that boundary, there's a lot of freedom in biblical New Testament ethics. There really is. God expects us to learn how to make our own decisions. He gets us started by teaching on the ethics. Jesus gets us started on the Sermon on the Mount of what it looks like. But really, there's a lot of freedom there. And as long as we enjoy that freedom within the constraints of the boundaries of that circle, we're good. Let's go to the next slide. What happens when we extend freedom beyond what God commands? So what happens if we say, you know, I know that 
God says this in the Bible and he gives us these constraints. He tells us don't go beyond this boundary because it'll hurt your capacity to flourish as a human being. Don't go beyond that. What if we say, nah, I think we can. I think we can extend that just a little bit. I think God's being a little bit too strict. I don't think that's necessary. Remember, he gives us a lot of freedom, but even that isn't good enough for us. If we say we want to go beyond, into the red zone, beyond what God says is appropriate for us and living a life of obedience to him. What do we call that? Let's go to the next slide. Compromise. That is spiritual compromise. That is saying, I'm smarter than God because he's too restrictive. I know better than God because he gives us rules that are unnecessary. So we're just going to extend that a little bit. I like the Bible's great, some good teaching things in there, but I think we can extend that a little bit. That's spiritual compromise, not good. That's a danger zone. All right, let's go to the next slide. Again, we have God's commandments. We have a lot of freedom inside of God's commandments, a lot of things that we can do ethically, a lot of things that we shouldn't do ethically outside of that. Next, what happens, what happens, this gets really interesting, when we restrict beyond what God commands, when we restrict freedoms that are tighter than what God commands. So we're saying, again, I'm smarter than God. I'm holier than God. I'm more disciplined than God. And I think he's wrong about these. I think we need to make it even tighter. What do we call that? Let's go to the next slide. Bigotry. Bigotry is defined as obstinate or intolerant devotion to one's own opinions and prejudices. Bigotry is believing I'm holier than God and I'm holier than you because I hold to a stricter ethic than you do. This looks good. This looks really spiritual, certainly provides for us a, way to, a new way to be judgmental about others, which is always helpful. But I've said this statement before, it's from one of my professors, Dr. Chapel. I took a homiletics course with him, which is about preaching, Brian Chapel, and he said, which is worse, we've said this a million times here, but it fits so perfectly, what is worse? Doing what the Bible prohibits or prohibiting what the Bible allows? And the answer is, they're both evil, straight from the pits of hell, because they both make us the judge instead of God. It's a way, it's, it's worshiping self. It's worshiping my perspective over God's. It's saying, I'm holier than God. I'm smarter than God. I'm more loving than God. Anytime we change the restrictions for others, it's demonic. Now, let's keep going. What is the correct way? What's the right way to do this? Next slide. One, this, is, this should be our attitude. This should be how we handle this. One, I allow wisdom to restrict my freedoms 
where I am weak. I allow wisdom to restrict my freedoms where I am weak. So in some cases, let's just let's think of a practical example. This is not going to be great because this is the top of my head. Um, let's say um, there's, there's maybe some scenes in R-rated movies that you feel like I have to stay away from R-rated movies because I have some weaknesses in some areas that that's going to um, provide some issues for me in being able to overcome temptation. So wisdom would say, I'm just going to make it a rule, a boundary for myself to not go beyond this. And my restriction is I'm not going to watch R-rated movies. That's just using wisdom for me. I know my weaknesses. That would be kind of like we're walking down a path a hundred yards over, there is a cliff that's, you know, a 500-foot drop. You're on the path. There's a cliff over there. And you know that if you get to the edge of that cliff, your intrusive thoughts are going to win. And you're going to be like, man, I wonder what it would be like to fly. And you're going to jump. Your intrusive thoughts are just going to win. They're stronger than you in that situation. So you start getting off the path, and you set a boundary that's, let's say, 100, 100 yards away. You set a boundary at 50 yards and you say, I'm not going to go beyond this because I'm going to jump off that cliff. I see it. It's going to be too beautiful. I'm jumping. That's what we're talking about. You allow wisdom to create some type of constraint so that you don't go beyond it and kill yourself. There could be all sorts of things. A rated R movie, you know, that's just, that might be something that, that works for you and doesn't work for other, other people. However, here's where we get into trouble. Let's go to the next slide. We get into trouble when we enforce our personal restrictions that we make out of wisdom on other people. You know why? Because now you're making you God in their life instead of God. You're saying, I know how to help you better than God does. I don't think God should give you that freedom. I'm going to tell you where you need to cut it off. You are making yourself their God. Now, some people have a, a, a real power trip control thing. They like being other people's God. So they're very voice, you know, they voice their restrictions. They think everybody else should live that way because they want you to worship and listen to them instead of God. So you can very confidently say, I'm not listening to that mess. Jesus is my God. I will seek his help. Now, I might seek your counsel, but don't tell me how to live if you're constraining it within what God says is acceptable. So, create your own restrictions out of wisdom, know where you're weak, and set up some boundary markers to help you not jump on the slippery slope that's going to lead you to disobeying God's commandments. Does that make sense? We need any more clarity on that. Okay. Next slide. Now, so if we allow our wisdom to determine where we are going to constrain ourselves a little bit more, what, this is what we do around other people. I allow love to restrict my freedoms where others are weak. I allow love to restrict my freedoms where others are weak. 
So you go over for a movie night to the person's house who has set up this boundary that says they are not going to watch a rated R movie because they know themselves. They're not putting that on anybody else. They're just sharing their own weaknesses. They're not making that a rule for you. This is just my deal. This is my weakness. You go over to their house. You have freedom to watch a rated R movie. It just sounds so funny, like using that as an example, but it's, it's a clear one. You have freedom to watch a rated R movie. So what do you do? You go to their house, you say, ah, get over it. Let's watch this, whatever, Saving Private Ryan. No. You constrain your own freedoms and rights out of love for that person who has a weaker conscience in that area. That's what is happening in today's passage. This is the dynamic that Paul is talking about in today's passage. So we're going to look again at some spots of 1 Corinthians 8, and I'm going to talk about, I'm just going to give you an idea of what's happening here. So you can follow along in your notes, you can on your devices or in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 8, we're just going to look at different parts of this. Now, what's happening is, um, back in the day, they would have these, these temples where uh, they, would, they would have multiple gods. Now, Paul knows there's not multiple gods. Believers in Corinth knew that there aren't multiple gods. There's just one god. But they would have these temples, they would build these temples to worship these false pretend gods. And part of the worship is they would offer meat, which was not an easy thing to, to offer in that day. And, and if, it, you had to be fairly wealthy to actually buy meat. So they would offer this meat to this idol in this temple. And then every temple had like a, a dining room or a restaurant that was attached to it. So after they offered this idol, it was conveniently, or offered me to this idol, it was conveniently pushed over to the restaurant, to the dining room, and people as an act of worship would, would go have a steak that was just offered to this idol. Now Paul's saying, he's talking to mature believers, mature believers, and he says in verse 4, As to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. So he's saying, you know, we know that there's, there's not really another God, so it doesn't bother us to go have a steak because we're saying that God's not even real. So we're going to have a steak. But then he says in verse 7, However, we know that's okay to do. We know we have freedom to eat that steak. However, in verse 7, not all possess this knowledge. Not everybody knows that. But some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. In other words, some people, even young believers, were going, and they were starting to eat this meat, but they were thinking, well, this is offered to idols, so they, didn't, they weren't able to detangle, which is Christian maturity, is all the things are tangled together, or Christian maturity is untangling all the superstitions and false beliefs and false ways of serving God, it's detangling all those things from the truth. So an immature, underdeveloped conscience would say, wait, I'm eating this offered to idols, so it must be I'm worshiping idols. That's what he's saying, because they haven't quite detangled that yet from their theology. So, but some, through former association with idols, eat food is really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Now, we know food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, no better off if we do. But take care 
We know it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you have the stake, but listen, take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Enjoy your freedom. You can have a stake in your house. When you're eating with other people who this is a thing for them, this is a struggle for them, don't do them damage. Don't damage their conscience by doing it anyways. Restrict or inhibit your freedom there for the sake of protecting their weaker conscience. And then this is how serious this is. Verse 12, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. And what's not in there that's clearer, I think, in the Greek is I will, Paul says, I will never eat meat in this age. In other words, I'll, I'll probably the rest of my life I won't eat meat just because I'm so worried about it causing someone to stumble. Which is, Paul, that's Paul going above and beyond what's actually required. We're going to get that to a minute. Two caveats. One, does this mean that I have to be constantly looking over my shoulders to make sure that I'm not causing someone else to stumble? Like, do I always now, if I go out, you know, in public, I always have to make sure I avoid everything that, even, that might even look like it's bad? Is that what this passage is saying? No. Again, wisdom and love should rule in this. Now, there is a verse that is, has a very unfortunate translation, and there's, there's debate and argument about this, but 1 Thessalonians 5.22, the King James Version says, abstain from all appearance of evil. So that sounds like, well, anything that looks like it could be bad, I should abstain from that. It's a very... It's the only major translation that says it that way, and it's a very unfortunate translation because let me tell you something. Do you know Jesus? He wasn't worried about eating with sinners around a table that might look like he was partaking in something evil. It looked like it was the appearance of evil. That is a terrible translation. I think the ESV got it closer. Most other, most other major um, Translations get it, gets it right. It says, abstain from every form of evil. One is appearance. One is actual. I think it's John 7, 24. This isn't my notes. It's a little bit dangerous, but I think it's John 7, 24, where Jesus says, don't judge by appearances. Judge according to what is actually right and true. You can look that up and make sure that's right, but I think that's John 7, 24. That's Jesus. Is that right? That's it. So if you want to write that down in your notes, John 7, 24, you can write that down. Because that, that goes along with this verse, 1 Thessalonians 5.22. Jesus says, live in such a way and judge other people in such a way that you're doing it not according to appearances, that you actually know what they're actually doing. Judge yourself according to what's actually evil. Don't do that. Don't get hyper paranoid about doing things that might look bad to other people. Because you will be schizophrenic. You will always be worrying about that. You'll be an anxious mess. That's no way to live. Now, some, now, we could, if we were a church that said, we're just going to restrict your freedoms instead of increase your maturity, you would be a nervous wreck every time you go out. Is Greg going to see me doing this? <laughs> it's not bad. I know it's not bad, I'm not, but it might be perceived as bad. No, don't do that. This isn't the place. Two, the second caveat, 
does this passage mean we need to be hyper-vigilant about not offending people with our freedom? No. And I'm saying this because this is an affront to the gospel. If someone sits at a table with me, and I've ordered a michelada, we're at a Mexican restaurant, I've ordered a michelada, and a Christian brother comes and sits at this table, and he says to me, I'm offended that you ordered that. Now, the onus is on me to figure out exactly what's going on there, because that could mean a lot of things. So I'm going to ask, okay? Do you struggle with this? Is this, you know, is, is this um, something that me doing this is going to make you want to do this and it's going to cause you to violate your conscience? And that person says, no, I'm just offended by it. Well, I'm going to look through my catalog of what I've learned about Jesus by reading slowly through the Gospels the last seven years, and I'm going to see how he would have responded to this, and I'm going to say... That's not my problem. That's your problem. Now, if I order a Michelada at a restaurant and a brother sits down and he says, I'm torn. Man, that looks really good. I have to be honest with you that I have seen in my own personal life how destructive alcohol can be. Some of you are like, oh, that's what a Michelot is. <laughs> How destructive alcohol can be. <laughs> I've seen how it can really hurt people. I've seen how it can tear families apart. And I see you enjoying this freedom that you have in Christ. If you, it's a big, and, and by the way, we use that a lot because it's easy. Alcohol is an easy thing to talk. And it's a big deal to Jesus, too. I mean, he started a war with his first miracle by producing a lifetime of supply for alcohol to a married couple. He was starting a war against religiosity. That's another sermon. But that's why I use this a lot. Because we are so stuck on this in the United States because of the damage it's done. In other countries, it's not so much a big deal. We get really weird about this and legalistic. That's why I use this. So this brother sits down. He says, I've seen the damage that does in other people's families. And I've committed because of that and because I know my own weaknesses that I just can't even have a sip ever for the rest of my life. And, and, and you're drinking that, it looks delicious, and I want to order one because of it. What do I do there? Hand it back to the server. I say, go pour this down the drain. What's the difference? Because love rules. And we make every decision not based on my freedom to do this, so I'm going to just put it in your face, which is super immature. It's, I'm going to enjoy this, and if I think it's going to hurt somebody else, it's an easy decision. I will always choose love. And we see why this is a big deal to Paul in not sinning against someone who has a weaker conscience in verses 12 and 13, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against, who are you sinning against? Christ. 
So the second brother comes and tells me how it's a struggle, and I say, oh, big deal, you need to get over it, and I have it anyways. I'm sinning against Jesus. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. So today's our first community group Sunday, and after service, you're going to be released into community groups if you're a part of those. If you are not yet, if you're visiting, um, uh, those are, it, it's just a, a monthly gathering that we have with multiple different families, and whether you're single or married or um, widowed or have a family or whatever your situation is, we want to have a, a place for you at least monthly to, to learn to engage in um, a smaller family than just meets here in a service on Sunday morning. Um, and if you're not in a community group, you want to learn more about it, I'll be available uh, in the lobby after service. You can hear more about it. But we're going to have some group discussion in our community groups, just a very light discussion. So what I want you to do, if you're a community group leader, you have the instructions and your sermon notes, we're going to ask somebody to read the passage, 1 Corinthians 1 or 8, 1 through 13, and then I want you to have this discussion. What are some ways today that we might have the opportunity to restrict our freedoms around others for the sake of love? Now, if you're not in a community group and you don't want to be in a community group, that's okay too. We don't regulate. <laughs> we're not the community group police. We don't regulate people who aren't in. We're not going to come after you. <laughs> it's okay. If you're not, but this might be a good conversation around the table. What are some of the ways that we might have the opportunity as a family or as a community group to restrict our freedoms around others for the sake of love. What might that actually look like? So instead of me giving you more applications, you guys are gonna figure it out as a group. And then at the end, there's instruction, you're each gonna pray for each other and offer something, a light way to be praying for one another. I wanna end with this, and I want the, the music team can come up front now. One of the things that's often a struggle for someone who is new in Christ is the belief that their acceptance to God is based on how they act moment to moment. It's based on all the wise and good decisions they make. That my acceptance in God's family wavers depending on how obedient I'm being. If I'm being really obedient, then I'm safely in God's family. But if I stumble and go outside of that circle that God says, now I'm no longer safe. Now I'm no longer part of his family. And that's not how it works. Jesus lived perfectly. He died on a cross for your sins. That includes the ones that you've already committed, the ones you're committing right now, and the ones you'll commit in the future. All of them are covered by the blood of Jesus. And when you put your faith and your trust and your confidence in Jesus and what he has accomplished for you, in Christ alone, you are safe forever. You will never be kicked out of the family. You'll never be unadopted into the family. You are his child permanently and forever. Man, I thought you were coming in on that. I was ready. That was, that was, I was about to get emotional. I was about to get emotional. Come on. Come on. I was getting hyped there for a second. All right. Now you can't do it, though, because everyone's going to know. Um, so you are safe forever. Once you are part of God's family, you cannot be removed because it has nothing to do with the mistakes that you made. It has everything to do with the perfect life that Jesus lived for you. 
And when you put your faith in him and you surrender your life to him and you say, you have all of me and all of my life and all of my decisions, I'm living them in honor and glory of you. So that when you mess up, you can say to God with confidence because you know you're still part of the family, I messed up. But my confidence isn't, isn't in how perfectly I live. It's in how perfectly Jesus lived for me. And in Christ alone, I'm part of your family forever. So let me pray for us. Father, thank you for these tidbits in Scripture to teach us how to live more faithfully as disciples of Jesus, to teach us how to love others really, really well, exquisitely well. At the same time, thank you that when we don't do that perfectly, we look to your perfection, Jesus, as our saving grace. May it ever be so in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.